What was that? That is a heraldic announcement. <laughs> yes, uh, before we get going, uh, I know people on social media already know this stuff, but I uh, wanted to announce on the podcast that Chuck here has adopted a baby girl. Chuck has a baby. <laughs> a beautiful baby. Yeah, she is. She's a cutie. She came, she was 10 days late, so she came out uh, not looking like a, one of those little alien creatures. No, she's fully formed. Yes. What's full, her name, baked. Chuck? Her name is Ruby Rose Bryant. Man, she is so cute. Uh, and she was born on your birthday. Yeah. Isn't the, that crazy? One of the better days of the year, July 15th. But isn't that remarkable? I think it is remarkable. Out of all the days. Yeah. And I was literally, I was just like, well, let me scroll through the celebrity birthdays, just, you know for giggles to see what you know who shares your birthday <laughs> right about three quarters of the way down i saw your face that's awesome and i'd forgotten it was your birthday because i was just in another yeah, planet right, I and i i like immediately i was like emily you gotta see this you'll never guess whose birthday she shares <laughs> so i think that's really neat um so anyway uh thank you everybody for the support uh, uh, stop stop chuck Yes. On behalf of every Stuff You Should Know listener out there, yes. congratulations to you. you and Emily. Do you feel like you can speak for them? Yes, of course. Okay. Because yeah. there might be like one guy out there who's like, I don't care. He can stop listening right now. <laughs> uh, but I do have some people to thank. Um, this happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And um, we stayed in this little area uh, called East Village. It was literally like a block in this loft, an Airbnb loft. Mm-hmm. And uh, above a pizza place and across the street from a bar. And Oh, I'll bet you have some people to thank. Yeah, these people, like, took us in as family. It was, like, literally every day, you know, for 10 days late. Mm-hmm. We were out there two days early, so for, like, two weeks they were like, what's going on, you know, where's this baby? <laughs> so uh, I want to thank uh, Hodges Bend, which you would love, dude, this cocktail bar. Yeah. Right up your alley. It sounds like it. You said cocktail bar. Yeah, and not only do they make like fresh, you know, fresh ingredients, but they don't have like a thing of cucumber sliced up. They oh, they slice the as cucumber needed, huh? as needed. Nice. And you know the jalapeno. You would have. They were doing it right there. So uh, Jamie and uh, Nate and Nicole and uh, Ian, the chef uh-huh. at Hodges Bend, was a stuff you should know fan. Oh yeah. He came out and he was like, "Is that who I think it is? How fortuitous! How fortuitous!" And then. Uh, East Village Bohemian Pizzeria. We stayed above this awesome. place, and they were great. Did the smell drive you nuts all the time? No, but we ate a lot of pizza. <laughs> okay. uh, so Pat there and uh, my boy Max. Max and I really hit it off. We're like genuine life pals now. Nice. Uh, and he, at the end, I go to leave, and I just give him a letter saying thank you, and here's my contact info. Mm-hmm. And then, like, P.S., by the way, I have a podcast. He's an ornithologist. He has his master's. Wow. But uh, he's not doing that right now. You know, he's running this pizza joint. And uh, just a really smart guy. I was like, I think you might like this podcast I do. Mm-hmm. He comes up and tells me afterward, this is like our parting words. He was like, dude, you're Chuck? <laughs> he's like, oh, really? I had a weird, like, thing. He said, I knew that you seemed familiar, but I didn't want to say anything. Like, he even watched the TV show. Oh, wow. So Max was like... That's probably why he didn't want to say anything. Yeah. Because he watched the 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 whole time. (laughs) He didn't want to bring it up. So a huge thanks to those guys. And then um, our caseworker, Jessica, um, also a Stuff You Should Know fan. That is amazing. Because at the end of our first call, like a month ago, she went, all right, we've got business done. I have something I have to admit. She's (laughs) like, I'm a huge fan. Man. So it was weird. It was like the Stuff You Should Know nation sort of caring for me. Yeah, and all of the people... Like you, you put a picture of Ruby Rose up, yeah, and like broke the internet. It was, it was people love newborns. Well, yeah, but people love Chuck's newborn. 
Yeah, but you know, it could have been a puppy and probably gotten the same. I don't think so, man. <laughs> I don't think. Uh, no, that Ruth, was very Ruth, sweet. Yeah. So that meant a lot to me. But Jessica and her two sons, uh, Hugh and Henry, I know they are listeners too. They are awesome boys. Mm-hmm. And uh, she really took care of us. So uh, I'm glad it worked out like yeah, this. Yeah, man. Three weeks in Tulsa. It was um, weird and uh, stressful and but it sounds wonderful. Like a, yeah, good start, though. Yeah, I mean, we were in there. Emily helped deliver this baby. That is so and cool. And I was in the man zone right behind her. I am so proud of you guys. Yeah. I'm so you. happy for you guys. I also want to say Jerry's not allowed to talk. Jerry feels the exact same way. <laughs> She's, well, we could take the duct tape off for today, maybe. Jerry, how do you feel? Yeah, she, she, she said, yeah. She agrees. She just spelled out on the speaking spell, send help. <laughs> Call the police. Uh, anyway, this is not going to become the new baby show. Um, she will probably disappear from uh, your lives, but just know that we're all doing great. And thank you for the support. <laughs> okay. All right? Yep. Nice job, Chuck. Thanks, man. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry, which means it's time for listener mail. Oh, wait. That's early. Wow. How about that? My brain just hurt. That's how we leave that in there. Do you want to? (laughs) Yeah, or maybe I should just read listener mail. We can go home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a build your own episode. Yeah, it's a Mad Libs. Just fill it in. I'm profiling. Yeah, styling and profiling. I'm pretty excited. Are you? Styling and profiling? Well, this is a grab. Oh, that's a different thing. This, yeah. Okay. I think that has to do with um, like uh, photography. No, I think styling and profiling just means you're uh living you know, large. Yeah, you're uh fashionable and hip. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is different. This, this yeah. And this is a Grabster article, which is the mark of quality as we all know. It is. It's refreshing to see and it is um we should just say right off the bat profiling is a super divisive topic. Oh, yeah. Um there are many ways to look at it, and I'll, they make sense sometimes on both sides. It's a tough one. Yeah. So that's my caveat. Nice. <laughs> it's divisive. So um, one one thing that Grabster immediately points out is like, it, not all profiling is profiling like you think of. Sure. There, we're going to talk about all the different ways. You right. Th- there's plenty of accepted forms of profiling. Yeah. And the first one. Um, is the standard all points bulletin or be on the lookout? Yeah, right? that's the kind that no one has a problem with. No one does. Yeah, because that you you know what that is? That's uh, the, the silver Toyota Tacoma was spotted today, and uh, white male in his mid forties with uh, spiky hair and uh, sort of chubby with a big, gross gray black beard has committed a crime. Right, and he's wearing cargo shorts and flip flops. Oh, I see. You're describing yourself. Profiler. <laughs> but you put in there white male. Yeah. And that's, the reason that's what I am. The reason why people don't have a problem with this is twofold. One, a crime has already been committed. Yeah. Okay. I committed a crime. So the police work is finding a perpetrator mm-hmm. that has already committed a crime. And secondly, that profile is based on eyewitness accounts, descriptions of the person. That's right. So that profile is being used to to track down a specific person. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with anybody else who's white. 
Right. It has nothing to do with anybody else who drives a silver Tacoma. Yeah. It has nothing to do with any of that jazz. It's just this guy is uh, suspected of having committed this crime. Yeah. And he looks like this. Yeah. You hear, uh, you see it on the news every night. Yes. You know, it's not just cops that use this. The news will say the suspect is, uh, you know, wearing a, a handsome checkered Oxford button down. With uh, wispy hair and, right. uh, and white straight teeth. Exactly. So they're describing you. <laughs> oh, you think my teeth are nice? I didn't say that. I said they were white and straight. That's nice. If that's what you're into. <laughs> <laughs> this is coming from a guy who just found out he's about to have to lose his front tooth all over again. And start over. Yeah, man, that sucks. Which I know there are some fans out there that are laughing Aaron Cooper. That toothless Chuck is coming back in the house for it's, a it's few It's really just him. Yeah. He's the only one who'd be jerky enough to laugh <laughs> at this, that kind of misfortune, you know? I know. I'm sorry to bring that up. I'm just still reeling from that discovery. It stinks. You think you get an implant and it's for life. Yeah. Not, Especially not when they sell years. you a lifetime implant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So, uh, like you said, including uh, descriptions and skin color is uh, not controversial in this case. No, it's in everybody from the feds to the local police are okay with that. Yeah, they're all in on it. And and not just the police, like everybody's like, yeah, this is fine. This makes sense. Sure. Not a thing. That's right. The next one uh is psychological profiling. Yeah. And this is when you don't have a lot of physical evidence or you don't have an eyewitness and you're trying to fill in the blanks and make some good guesses. Billy blanks based on uh, <laughs> well, I remember that guy. Uh, some good guesses based on like the crime scene or just the circumstances of the crime. Yes. Again, a crime has already taken place and you're trying to figure out who solved it. And you're taking... Who solved it? Who committed it? <laughs> you're trying to figure out who's going <laughs> to solve it. All right. All right. Precogs. Which you figure out the same moment when, as you do when you figure out who committed it. It's, it's interesting. Kind of it's kind mind-bending, really. Twice you've jumped to the end of something. It's so weird. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I think you know what it means. <laughs> Uh, sometimes they are vague. Uh, oh, wait, I hadn't finished my thought. Oh, okay. I didn't mess it up that bad. Let, let me go back and finish. All right. Um, it, uh, the point is it's drawn from available evidence. Yeah, clues. Clues. Yeah. That you're bringing together to try to cr- drum up an idea of who did this. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Okay, so. Sometimes it can be vague, but if you watch TV and movies, uh, um, it is probably not how it really goes down but it's super specific when you see it in fiction right you know like i think this uh this man who uh was beaten as a child and he probably lives alone or sherlock holmes was really yeah. good at that kind of thing that's a good point love sherlock holmes yeah that's good stuff uh did you know he was a morphine and cocaine addict oh really yeah well i guess you need both in like the original stories really yeah oh like in the books mm-hmm Wow. Not the real guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> what was I thinking? Yeah. Are you sure you're not just thinking of Robert Downey Jr.? Oh, I'm 100% sure. Okay. I mean, I've read the originals. No, it's just kidding. And he, like, anyway. does, he shoots morphine in it. Yeah. And, and Watson's not very happy with the whole thing. Oh, is he clean? Yeah. Is he straight edge? No, he's not straight edge, but he, he doesn't, he's not a junkie, you know? Right. But he didn't care. He was like, Watson, wash my toes. <laughs> so I can I'm inject morphine up. between them. <laughs> all right, moving on to predictive profiling. Uh, 
Well, yeah, this is where it starts to get a little messy. Yeah, it can get a little controversial. Even because, psychological uh, profiling is a little controversial, I have to say, Chuck. Like, it's not sure. a proven, tried and true thing. It's a, no. as much a, a guessing game as anything else. That's true. Um, but it's not nearly still as controversial as predictive profiling because now you're trying to say these people will probably commit a crime. Right. Not, not. Uh, now, civil rights are at issue, big time. Big time. Um, police officers uh, do great work. Ideally, they are not just uh, reacting to committed crimes, but they are um, driving around the neighborhood looking for a suspicious person that might be about to commit a crime. To prevent crime. To prevent a crime, which is tough to do. You know, it's right place, right time in most cases. Yeah, and you use the word ideally, right? Ideally. Okay. Yes. Um. So even when this happens, the Supreme Court has roundly um, sided with police officers um, as profiling for justification. So it's legally speaking, okay. It's on the books. It's on the books. So so give an example of the kind of profiling that's okay to be used. Um, The the one in the article is great. Um, Let's say you're in uh, South Florida and you're... You're traveling up I-95 and you're in a, it's 4 a.m. and you're in a a rented black SUV with tinted windows Mm -hmm. and you have the spare tire in the back seat removed. Um, I'm sorry, it's it's removed from the trunk area. It's in the back seat. It's just sitting in the back seat. Might be, might be a drug trafficker. Right. And the, the, the cop is basing this on something like, um, a profile. Yeah, but a profile based on previous experiences with other sure. drug dealers in the same area. Yeah. Because that's a really big one right there. Like um, one of the things for using profiles successfully is it has it's it has it has to be over a certain period of time uh-huh. and associated with a certain place. So you use Miami. Yeah. And say Miami in 1985. OK. Right. If you saw that person and you would say, well, this is probably a cocaine trafficker based on all the other dealings with cocaine traffickers who who use the same transportation MO. Yeah. And we should point out the tires removed because you can then hide the drugs where the spare tire went. Right. And uh, then that's why the tires in the back seat. Yes. So these are red flags. Yeah. But if you're like in um, Wyoming in 2015, yeah. and you read an article about how that held true in Miami in 1985, that is not necessarily a justifiable transference of profiling because Correct. it exists in a different time and a different place. That's right. So, like you said, this can be a um, this can be high level policy. Um, it can be unofficial policy. It can be just merely experience as a police officer that something you've encountered from time to time. And basically, to determine if this profile justifies a search, a warrantless search, that is. In other words, you haven't gone to the judge and applied for a warrant and had them review it and all Mm -hmm. that stuff, or rubber stamp it, which we'll get to. Um, It's got to stand up in court in the end. So you got to be careful as a cop. You do. Um, You have to have what's called an articulable suspicion. Yes. Which was established um, by a 1968 case... Uh, or Supreme Court ruling, Terry versus Ohio. And the Supreme Court said, and this is actually from a Matt Tiabi, um article. It's really, really worth reading. Yeah. Uh, it's called Why Baltimore Blew Up. It was in Rolling Stone in 
like a month or two ago. Ooh. It's a very good article. Um, but he talks about this Terry case led to what are called Terry stops. Mm-hmm. Whereas if a cop has a suspicion that they can put into words, meaning it's not just a hunch. Right. Um, that somebody is is uh, either just committed a crime or going to commit a crime. Yeah, that that is probable cause and it's yeah. grounds for a search. Yeah, and here's a uh, Ed had a great um, example here. Like, let's say the cop in court would say this: uh, the suspect appeared nervous, made several contradictory statements. In the back seat, I saw a shoebox full of uh, old film canisters, which drug couriers commonly use. Uh, the car smelled like air freshener spray, which is used to cover up the smell of drugs. And I spotted them driving slowly up and down a block that I know is frequented by drug dealers. Right. That's called good police work in court. Right. That's called like a prosecutor's dream cop. Yeah. Um, and if you, if you go back and you notice all of that stuff, all of these things are based on, so a block that he knows to be frequented by drug dealers. Yeah. 35 millimeter canisters. Maybe, uh, he read a, a, Police Benevolent Association newsletter article about that. Right. Um, all of this stuff together um, becomes what's called cumulative similarities. And supposedly a Florida highway patrolman named Bob Vogel is the first guy to put this down on paper. Yeah, he was very controversial. Which is you take all of these different things and put them together and you can form a profile. Yeah. And you can use that to pull somebody over. Right. And then, you know eventually search their car if yeah. you're a Florida highway patrolman, right? Yes. So um you've got you've got all of these uh you have the Terry stops mm-hmm. which are used for broken windows policing and just for pulling people over. Yeah. But they require an articulable suspicion. Right. But they can be based on what are called cumulative similarities, which is a profile either like the your police department is saying be on the lookout for right. people driving with their spare tire in the back seat, right? Um, at this time of night, yeah, on I ninety five, right? So far, this has all been upheld by the Supreme Court. That's right. But there is a very, very fine line um, that is frequently crossed, and we will talk about how that runs afoul of the Constitution right after this. All right, Josh, before we took a break, you mentioned something called the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of amendments that come into play when you're talking about search and seizure, probable cause, profiling. Sure. And uh, they are the Fourth and Fourteenth Amendments. <clears throat> uh, the Fourth reads in whole, the right of the people to be secure in their persons. <laughs> Is that JFK? I went into him. Winston like, Churchill? Sure. It's both. Uh, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue, but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. Right. So there's some big words in there. That's right. Big, big, like, uh, money words, like, uh, it's protection against unreasonable searches and seizures. Yeah. Which means, as far as the Supreme Court's concerned, some cop just can't say, I'm going to push you up against the wall. And pat you down for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. Or I'm going to pull you over for no reason, and I'm going to search your car on the side of the road. Exactly. For no reason. Um, does not happen, right? 
<laughs> of course not. <laughs> sure. So um, that's the Fourth Amendment, right? Yes. And uh, there's another big term in there. It's called probable cause. Like you have to have, and if from, a lot of people say that that 1968 Terry versus Ohio ruling is just too broad. Yeah. An articulable suspicion. Like what is that? You know. Yeah. Um, but even still, there's there's so, there has to be some sort of probable cause, and a lot of the times, as we'll see, it's just from uh, some something out in plain sight or something like that. But there's a big struggle over what constitutes probable cause. But the point is, the Fourth Amendment says you have to have probable cause, or else it's an unreasonable search. That's right, and uh, a police officer in most cases has to go get a warrant for like the search of a home or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a whole issue of rubber stamping warrants these days, of course, that like the judge may not even really review. That it's just a formality. Right. Or for anybody who's watched enough Law & Order episodes, yeah. all you have to do is go, I smell pot. Do you smell pot? Wink, wink, and then kick the door in. Yeah, exactly. Because you can't prove that the cop didn't think he smelled pot. Exactly. You know? Now, there's the threat of perjury, of perjuring himself sure. on the stand, but I imagine, at least as far as like Briscoe and Green are concerned, uh-huh. they're hoping that they're <laughs> going to find such gangbuster, overwhelming evidence yeah. that everybody's going to forget about the fake smell of pot. Right. Um, so there was actually a case uh, which relates to probable cause called the U.S. v. Uh, Sokolo that uh, made it all the way to the SCOTUS. And um, did you read about that case? I did. It's um, it was in 1989. Well, that was when the ruling was, right? Yeah. So what happened was the DEA arrested uh, a guy at the Honolulu airport, found uh, over a thousand grams of cocaine in his carry-on. It was a key. He had a kilo. And he paid. Uh, they, the agents knew all this going into it. This is why they arrested him. He paid twenty one hundred bucks for round trip tickets uh, with a roll of twenty dollar bills. <laughs> uh, he traveled under a name that did not match the name under which his telephone was listed. Okay. Um, he was originally going to Miami. And, and this was 1980. Yeah. The flag at the time. He only stayed in Miami for two days, even though a round trip flight from Honolulu takes 20 hours. So a very quick trip. In other words, he was almost flying as long as he was there. Right. In Miami, he met up with a man named Tony Montana. <laughs> uh, apparently he appeared nervous and he did not check his baggage. And, uh, the district con- uh, court denied motion to suppress the evidence, said it was justifiable. The Court of Appeals disagreed and overturned that, and then eventually it went to the Supreme Court, and they said, no, it's okay, because they had what was, quote, a totality of uh, evidence. So here's the thing, though. The thing that makes that so groundbreaking, and nowadays, I mean, we were raised under SoClo, right? It seems like this is just the norm. Yeah. But it was a groundbreaking case at the time because nothing, none of that, it's not against the law to pay your plane ticket with no. cash. It's not against the law to not check your bags. No. At the time, it wasn't against the law to travel under an assumed name. Yeah, and I don't think at the time it was against the law to go to Miami just for two days. Right, exactly. <laughs> none of this is against the law. Yeah. And so uh, if you if if you just followed the strict interpretation of the law up to that point, yeah. There was they couldn't bust this guy, even though when they busted him, they found a kilo of coke like they knew they would in his bag. Yeah. 
um, there wasn't enough there. And the Supreme Court said, you know what? We we think that when you put all that stuff together, there is enough there. Yeah. Now, what constitutes that totality? Is it two pieces of evidence? Is right. it one thing? Sure. Um, you know, how much does it take to profile? But what they were saying in Sokolo was, yes, the, the s- stuff that you've seen from other proven criminals mm-hmm. – Applied to somebody else who you don't yet fully know is a criminal yeah. is enough for you to bust them, right? And see if you're right. Yeah. Again, it's, it's not like kind of groundbreaking. He didn't go straight to jail. They looked in his bag. Yes, but it's do you have the right to look in the bag? Is what it comes down to. Yeah, and they were saying that the the Supreme Court's interpretation is this stands up to the Fourth Amendment. Yeah, and I imagine the guy went to Miami for two days. Right. <laughs> Kiss your civil rights goodbye. Uh, so with the 14th Amendment, um, it states in part that no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the U.S. Uh, oh, uh, I think everybody wants the Kennedy voice again, Chuck. Oh, okay. I'll I think, think anytime you read amendments from the Bill of Rights, you have to do it like that. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction equal protection of the laws. Yeah. So this one applies. You might say, well, we've got the fourth. We don't need the 14th. The 14th <laughs> says, look, man, you can't just bust somebody uh, without this, again, due process of law. Mm-hmm. And we have a due process of law. And what the Supreme Court did with cases like Sokolow and with cases like Terry versus Ohio um, is they said profiling is part of the due process of law. That's right. So – one thing that ha- they have gone back to again and again and again and again is that if race is factored in in almost any circumstances, there are circumstances that is where racial profiling is allowed right. in police work. But for the most part, if you're basing your suspicions of criminal wrongdoing on race largely or in part, yeah. then it, that is not that runs afoul of the Fourth and the Fourteenth Amendments, and you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, the Grabster points out that cops, unless you are have an APB out on a Hispanic male or a black male, right? Then you are supposed to be colorblind as a cop. Exactly. All right. You're supposed to be. Supposed to be. So you know um, the Eric Garner case, the Michael Brown case, mm-hmm. um, all of these cases where you know black males were basically stopped from either doing a petty offense or just stop uh, based on suspicion because they were black in their neighborhood. Yeah. Um, it, it prompted the executive branch to release a new set of guidance, like an updated set of guidelines yeah. for racial profiling. And they were, they basically spelled out examples. Um, I posted to it on the podcast page for this episode, but they spelled out examples for when that, when it's appropriate. And they said, if it's an all points bulletin for any police, yeah, yes. Um, if you're traffic or if you're patrolling and looking for criminals and you're basing it on race, absolutely not allowed. But they said they gave an example where, like, um, if, for example, you are looking for somebody who carried out a hit on a gang leader, yeah, and you know there's this rival gang, and this rival gang is probably the ones who carried out this hit. Mm-hmm. And every member of this rival gang is um, Hispanic. Yeah. 
that you could use that as sure. part of the profile in searching for your suspect. It just makes sense in that case. Right. Not you're not because don't look for the little old white lady. Right, exactly. Yeah. Because it's that specific. Right. But you wouldn't cast a dragnet over all Hispanics. It would be Hispanic men related to this gang. You see it, what I'm saying? I think the lesson here is get the little old white lady to do the hit. It's been done before. And you're golden. It has been done before. Which is one Literally. of the one of the problems with racial profiling is it's distracting. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that, but that's definitely true. Um, and you know, when you watch cops, it's not always like. Uh, it's sometimes that I will see on the TV show they will pull over, they'll stop a white kid, like suburban white kid that's in a bad neighborhood, because mm-hmm. they'll be like, well, he's he doesn't belong here. He's, yeah, he's probably buying drugs, right? Because this is a street where people buy drugs. There's a crack house down there. And this guy is from the county, uh, you know, the the white suburban county out in right. the suburbs. Yeah, that's, so let's pull him over. That's racial profiling. That's the same same thing, but different. Right. Well, it's the same thing. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's talk about uh, probable cause analysis. This is good. There's um, during a traffic stop, there's there's several things a cop can do, and each one requires different kinds of cause in order for it to be legal. Um, yeah, again, they aren't supposed to just pull you over for no reason. They're not supposed to. Sure. You're supposed to fit some sort of – either you broke a traffic law mm-hmm. or you fit a uh, a profile that that has been agreed upon as okay Yeah, but a cop to pull over for. And again, we're not knocking police officers. Hard work and mostly they do great work. But a, a cop can pull someone over f- for anything and say like – when you made that turn, you swung a little too wide or you hit that yellow line. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm s- suspicious that you're drunk. Like, you know? Right. Like, the, you can almost invent a reason to pull someone over in under any circumstances. Right. So let's just start with that. Uh, when you pull over a car, um, supposedly to pull someone over legally, you need to have witnessed a violation. Um, or you can run the plates and see if their car is stolen or if there's a warrant out for the owner. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing you see on cops all the time. Yeah. Um, and the, the cop can make a stop as long as they can describe specific factors that fit the profile. Right. Car, car full of black kids, not okay to just pull that no, car over. Not for that reason. Right. But if they say, like I saw, um, smoke coming out the windows, um, they were driving erratically, and it smelled like pot smoke fr- from the road, mm-hmm. then that is a reason. Right. Number two, uh, when you go to question the suspect, that's moving things up a notch. Uh, you don't have to get a ticket when you get pulled over. You might just get questioned uh, if you seem suspicious. Um, and they can, you know, they'll shine that light in the car, and they'll look at everything that they can see without actually searching the car. Yeah. Uh, and that's what, well within their right. What's called plain view. Exactly. So if you have like a bag of pot sitting out on the front seat with you and the cop sees it, that just opens your entire car and your person up to a search. Yes, and you that means you are super high. Because now, <laughs> now there's probable cause. But yeah. if uh, you have long hair and you have an open half gallon of ice cream next to you, mm-hmm. still not enough. Might raise his suspicions, but that still should not be enough to um, give them probable cause to search your car. Well, I got profiled in Texas. Uh, me and my best friend Brett, many years ago after college, did a big out west trip for mm-hmm. two months. And 
the cop said he didn't. Pu- he said he pulled us over because I didn't have my seatbelt on. Uh-huh. Um, why he really pulled us over is because we were two scruffy-looking guys and with tattoos and beards in a Volkswagen van. Uh-huh. Um, and he searched the van. He asked if he could, and we said he could. And he searched the van for like an hour on the side of the road. Long story short, Chuck did five years. <laughs> five hard ones. <laughs> no, we didn't get caught with anything. We got away, and he basically was mad at us that he wasted his time. And the last thing he said was, get out of Texas. So, And I said, I'm trying to, sir. <laughs> but the, the point is, is that that cop asked you if he could search your car, right? He did. And that uh, if you give consent, then you are waiving your Fourth Amendment rights. But you don't have to give consent. Not, no. Not pe- many people know this. And there's some states that make the cop tell you, you are allowed to refuse a search of your car. Um, I've but not all either. states do. I've yeah. never heard it either. Um, instead, the cop just says, can I search your car in the most intimidating voice possible? Mm-hmm. And most people will just fold like a house of cards yeah. um, because they're scared of the cop or whatever. Even if they do have something in there, they're not going to be like, nope, you're not allowed to search the car. So the point where the cop asks if he can search the car is usually in the absence of something that nothing in plain sight, mm-hmm. but also that cop's suspicions suspicions are raised. Yeah, but he just can't quite prove it. So he'll ask you if you can search your car. If you say no, the cop can say, "Well, I'm I'm going to detain you temporarily." Right? Yeah. Basically, I can go. I will wait it out. I can get a warrant. I'm going to search that car. Right. Okay. Uh, if he wants to get a warrant, that's different. Yeah. Like what he's doing now is trying to do everything he can to search your car without having to go to the trouble of getting a warrant. Right. Without probable cause, like seeing a bag of pot in the front seat. Uh-huh. Right. It, time was that they could detain you for up to like 90 minutes while they called the canine unit out. And the yeah. canine unit has been shown to, if it, the canine unit sniffs around your car, that's not an unreasonable search. And if the canine smells something or indicates that there are drugs present, then that does provide probable cause for a full search under the Fourth Amendment, right? Yeah. They changed that. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, in April, this past April, the Supreme Court had a decision that said, no, you really can't make people wait around while the drug dog comes out. They're like, we're not opposed to that, but the point of a traffic stop is to promote and encourage traffic safety, right. not to cast a drug a dragnet for drug couriers. Yeah, um, and you you cannot detain people without a reasonable suspicion to wait for the drug dog to come out. If they tell you you can't, they you're not allowed to search their car. That's good. I wonder if it had it's anything huge. to do with um, if you look up online, there are ways that cops can make a drug dog signal, basically by how they're handling the dog. Oh, I would guess so. Yeah. And there's a lot of suspicion, and they'll play them side by side. Like, you see this cop's doing it right, and if you see this cop, watch this little thing he does, then the dog barks. Mm. And basically, there was a lot of speculation that bad cops would like use twist that. the dog's tail? <laughs> well, not that, but yeah, essentially making the dog signal a false alert just to give them reason. Well, the dog barked, so now I can uh, I can search your car. Yeah. Or, and maybe it all started because, I meant to bring this up a second ago, Suspicion can be, uh, they seem nervous. Right. You know, like everyone's nervous when a cop pulls them over. Sure. Even if you haven't done anything, it's just nerve wracking. It's like white coat blood pressure. Well, yeah. I mean, like a lot of people's blood pressure is high at the doctor yeah. because they're nervous about, you know, being at the doctor. There's someone standing at my window with a gun. 
Right. Like, it's nerve-wracking. Yeah. So the Supreme Court said, no, you guys, you have to have a reasonable suspicion to detain somebody on the side of the road that they've committed another crime. It can't just be, I'm pulling you over, you have to wait for 90 minutes while the drug dog comes out so I can bust you or try to bust you or whatever. That was a that was a big deal that they they came up with that. Yeah, we didn't in Texas. We didn't have the drug dog come out, but we were. I, I felt like we were on the side of the road for an hour while he dug through that entire van. Yeah, um, just you could tell he was. He really wanted to find something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, let's open the can of worms, my friend. Racial profiling. Yeah, it's a big, big deal in this country. Uh, it's a problem, and um, let's talk about it. I think that's good. Uh, so that is basically, it's a form of predictive profiling uh, where one of, if not the only factor, is uh, skin color. Right. That, like, um, oh, let's say that um, Mexican people are way more um, prone to sell meth. So let's go hang out at that Hispanic neighborhood. Right. There's a couple of things wrong with that. Right. Um and that is racial profiling. Some people actually defend it, saying, well, if you look at prison statistics, Hispanics are far more likely to be in prison for drug crimes than, say, white people. So that makes sense, right? Right. Okay. The well, other I'm side, not saying right. I'm, right. I'm playing along here. The other side of the coin is that you can use those same statistics to point to the idea that Hispanics and blacks are disproportionately targeted for drug busts than other people. Right. And so these same, this is, and Ed points out, this is um, one of the problems with this debate, is both sides use the same statistics differently to prove their point. Yeah, another uh, thing he points out is that people that say, uh, some people will say that it is institutionalized, Racism and its harassment of right. a minority. Yeah. Straight up. Uh, people who defend against it say cops harass criminals. And if those criminals happen to be minorities, T.S., that's not our fault. And I think that's just the reality of the world we live in. Even further, there's people who say, uh, yes, racial profiling is a thing and it's an effective tool of law enforcement. Sorry. Yeah. Welcome to reality. Exactly. Um those people usually have their arguments demolished pretty quickly, including by professionals. I read this um, this interview or, well, an article about the a former chief chief of police of Palo Alto uh-huh. around San Francisco area. Yeah. And um, he also uh, grew up as an Oakland cop. And he was talking about that kind of racial profiling that you were, where they would just sit out in like um, high crime neighborhoods and pull over anybody white. Right. And they were doing like that for the same reasons. Uh-huh. And he was saying it almost never worked. He said that um, they also would have like long dragnets on stretches of highway. Yeah. And they would target Hispanic people and like low riders. And he said almost never worked. And he said that it's ineffective. Right. It's also lazy policing. Because he he said the better alternative is to forget who who's what color, yeah. But just watch for somebody leaning in a car that's just pulled over under the curb, yeah. Or somebody making furtive moment movements. Look, look in for there. actual crime, right? Look yeah. for behavior that is actually linked to crime. Not oh, there's a white person in a black high crime neighborhood, so therefore they're they're um they're buying drugs. Or even even worse than that, there's a black person who lives in a high crime neighborhood, yeah. they must be a drug dealer. Right. Let me go stop and frisk them. 
Yeah. Um, that, that is just lazy policing. It, it's, it's shorthand policing. Whereas if you look for actual criminal behaviors, you're going to have, you're going to be far more successful in busting the bad guys. But even worse than it being like lazy policing and ineffective in a lot of ways, this guy pointed out like, and I've seen this in many different places. If you want to encourage mistrust and animosity toward the police, yeah. scoop up every member in the community and take them to jail yeah. just on the off chance that you might find something that sticks. Yeah. If you want to set a town off uh, or any population off, do that for a few years and see what happens. Yeah. And that's what we've been seeing time and time again. It's systematic. Yes. It's, it's systematic targeting and then a systematic reaction to yeah, that target. Absolutely. Uh, and I've mentioned cops a lot. If you're out there saying, well, yeah, but on cops, every time they pull over that shady black guy in the neighborhood, he has something on him and gets arrested. Or that white kid mm-hmm. in the bad neighborhood, he's there to buy drugs. It's a TV show that's edited. Right. They don't show you the 25 stops where there is no crime because it would not be a fun TV show. Exactly. All right. So I think people use that as like dummies use that as proof sometimes. Like, watch cops, man, every single time. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Like, all all meth users are scrawny and white. So if you see a scrawny white guy, meth user. That's right. Or marathon runner. <laughs> right. You know? Uh, so, obviously, there can be uh, rogue cops, racist cops that are doing their thing on a, on a singular level or with their partner. But it becomes a real, real problem. That's a problem. It becomes a super real problem when it is part of the system, uh, in which was the case with the New Jersey state troopers in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. They did a 10-year study and found out that 80% of all traffic stops were minorities over a 10-year period. 80%. Uh, and they found that there was a, quote, macho elitist culture uh, within the state trooper ranks, end quote. And... Um, Basically, even though they officially said racial profiling isn't uh, right, there was uh, a system in place where veterans would really coach and teach the younger cops, right. like, this is how we're doing it. Yeah. And they were basically outed. Um, the authorities assigned federal monitors to those troopers. And evidently, by 2006, they had um, a report suggested they had eliminated that profiling completely. Yeah. Uh, which is good if that's the case. Yeah. You know? And I'm sure it is. New Jersey state troopers are intimidating. You ever seen those guys? No. They're the ones that look like the military uniforms. Which is a whole other issue altogether. Well, I mean, not like M16s, but they just had on like like the dress blues and the, yeah. Boots and all that? Yep. Um, It turns out, Chuck, 22 states have laws that ban racial profiling of motorists. Which is great until you think that that also means that 28 <laughs> states don't. Yeah. It's kind of weird, if you ask me. Um, and uh, I found a study also from Illinois that found that in Illinois, black and Hispanic drivers were two times likelier to be stopped and searched. Yeah. But white drivers were two times likelier to have contraband on them. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Not only weird, it's it's startling how, like... It's it's not effective. Like they're it's not leading to stopping crime. Yeah, which is sort of the point. Well, and then an, a, another um, very controversial bout of racial profiling that this country went through came after September 11th, of course. And in the uh, aftermath of that, you would remember every every month or two, you'd hear about someone who sometimes seeks 
who aren't even Arab yeah. would get kicked off of like a plane or something like that because they made the pilot nervous just being there. By being or, brown. Yeah, or TSA would, would like pat down um, disproportionately more Arab people yeah. than white people. Um, and now supposedly they base it on your behavior rather than your race. So they're not racial profiling any longer, right. supposedly. And it is, I, I have to say I haven't heard of one of those cases in a while, but it seemed like for a while we were hearing about it all the time. Yeah, I think there was a, a heightened sense of everything back then, of course, right after 9-11. Yeah. But so this guy who used to manage the Ben Gurion airport in um, Israel, Raphael Ron, he pointed out that that was the exact opposite of what you want to do. Yeah, he said the worst attack in the history of this airport was carried out by Japanese yeah. in the early 70s. And he said if we're focusing on an ethnic group, then we're we're potentially missing someone that's about to do something bad. Right, which is exactly what happened in 1972 at that airport. Three members of the Japanese Red Army walked in with um, machine guns and violin cases and just opened them up and started opening fire on the, the crowd and killed, I think, um, 26 people. And they were hired by the PLO. PLO knew that they could never walk into a, the the Israeli airport, but Japanese people would unnoticed. And so this guy's saying the same thing. Like, if you're really on the lookout for your enemy, like, again, watch for behavior. Right. Like, do actual police work. Don't just use this lazy shorthand stuff because it's gonna, it's going to tick off this entire population and it's gonna cause in you to miss the real crime. Well, yeah, you've got like, it sounds like a movie. The um, the cops are at the airport and they detain this uh, this Arab guy who's like late for a business meeting. Yeah. And then in the sh- in the same shot. The uh, the white dude who is a, a a Timothy McVeigh just walks right behind him with yep. the, with the bomb on his body. You realize you just described the subplot to Airplane Two. <laughs> Did I? Yeah. Remember Sonny Bono had the bomb. Oh He's yeah. Just a little mild mannered Weasley dude. Yeah, that's right. And I think he walks through while they're jacking up some like uh, I think PLO dudes. <laughs> Maybe that was subconscious. Wow. So that's a uh, profiling. Tip of the iceberg, I would call that. Oh, sure. There's, we could do a series of shows on this, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, and if you want to know more about profiling in the meantime, uh, type that word into the search bar of your favorite search engine, and I'm sure it will bring up all manner of terrible stuff. You can also type it in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and it will bring up this article by The Grabster. And since I said Grabster, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this Weefus, uh, which is short for water enema from a water slide, or from a slide. Mm-hmm. And this is from uh, Tiffany, last name withheld. She says, uh, as a kid, I remember being a chubby 11-year-old girl excited for her first trip to Disney World in the water park, then known as Typhoon Lagoon, had a brand new neon green with black polka dot bathing suit, was all excited and uh, to go down the Cowabunga, a 214-foot-tall water slide on a steep 60-degree angle. Uh, They tell you to keep your ankles crossed, but as a little chubby 11-year-old girl, my brain comprehended, but my little legs did not have the strength for all 214 feet. I think you see where this is headed. Mm -hmm. Uh, After plummeting to the bottom, I immediately knew something was not right. I clenched my thighs as tightly as I could, pulling out the massive water slide wedgie. Not two steps from exiting the slide, though, a different type of waterfall began to trickle down my legs. (laughs) No matter how tightly I clinched, I couldn't stop it. I waddled up to a gorgeous Australian teenager employee and explained I need a restroom right away. 
with a smug smile, he pointed all the way to the other side of the lagoon, which was a long walk. Uh, just as I entered the bathroom with all the force of the water that had entered my body, it exited, and I single-handedly shut down a small portion of Disney that day. As embarrassing as this was, I was more upset that my new bathing suit was ruined. My parents were furious because they had to shell out $50 for a new one pronto. I hope I didn't gross you out too bad. Oh, you did. <laughs> uh, think of it as a cautionary lesson for your listeners. Uh, thanks for all your hard work. Um, I hope to see you guys sometime in Detroit. And hey, October, Tiffany, last name withheld. We're just going to call you Tiffany Poopy Pants. <laughs> We're coming to Detroit in October. Uh, yes, ostensibly. Ostensibly. And also, we want to say Detroit in advance of us coming. We're sorry for all of the jokes we made about you. Oh, it'll all come home to roost. See you in October. Uh, if you want to tell us a gross story that happened when you were a kid, let Don't. <laughs> yeah, don't. Yeah. Just tell us something else and tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. Join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. Send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 